Hello, welcome to the Law of the Gosh podcast. Um, you might have heard a few months ago the American football quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, Colin Kaepernick, took a knee during the national anthem and has done so multiple times after that in protest of American oppression, police violence, etc. Later in a press conference, uh, Kaepernick wore a t-shirt when he was responding to his protest. And on his t-shirt, there was multiple pictures of the Cuban leader, Fidel Castro. Later on, a Cuban-born sports writer named Armando Salguero interviewed Kaepernick and asked him about the t-shirt he had worn. Kaepernick responded to Armando by saying the following, quote, one thing Fidel Castro did do is they have the highest literacy rate because they invest more in their education system than they do in their prison system, which we do not do here, even though we fully are capable of doing that. When Armando asked Kaepernick about the breaking up of families in Cuba, Kaepernick compared the U.S. to Cuba by saying, quote, we do break up families here. That's what mass incarceration is. That was the foundation of slavery. So our country has been based on that as well, as the genocide of the Native Americans. Um, literacy rates for Cuba are high. However, there are many other statistics to judge Cuba by. In satisfaction of life, Cuba ranks 83. In democracy, it ranks 129. In access to internet, it ranks 135th. In freedom of press, it ranks 171 and in economic freedom for individuals it ranks 177th so clearly literacy rate is not the only way of judging cuba by and its oppression of its citizens and i'm very happy to have armando salguero uh online with me to talk about this encounter he had and his feelings about that conversation. For those who want to hear that conversation, I'll have a link in the description so you can listen to it, which I suggest that you listen to either before or after this conversation. Hello, Armando. Hi, Lalo. Thanks for having me tonight. Yeah, no problem. So do you want to first introduce yourself? Well, uh, you did pretty well. My name is Armando Salguero. I'm a sports columnist for the Miami Herald. Uh, I you know, am Cuban born. I was born in La Habana in 1962, and my family emigrated to the United States, and I've lived here my entire life, and, you know, I consider myself an American. What age did you arrive in the U.S.? I was four years old when, uh, when we arrived in 1967. And in your article, you go into more detail about your parents leaving, um, you pointed out that that as soon as they applied for a for a visa to leave the country to the U.S., people get immediate, immediately fired from their jobs in during the process of of the visa. Yeah, that's typical of the Cuban state government. Obviously, they recognize that anyone who is applying for a visa to emigrate to the United States intends to leave Cuba. And so therefore, 
Cuban jobs are for Cubans. We are no longer considered Cubans, although, you know, my parents and their parents and their parents' parents and their parents' parents were born in Cuba. And obviously that matters not one iota. What happens is immediately you lose your job and immediately you are an enemy of the state and immediately you are subject to harassment. You are subject to police um, visits. You are subject to inquisitions. And uh, that happens for the term of the entire time that you are waiting on your visa. And for us, it took five years. Considering your background, what was your reaction when you saw Kaepernick, who was protesting oppression, who had a Fidel Castro shirt that had multiple pictures on it between Malcolm X and Fidel Castro? And uh, to me, uh, a person from Chile and understanding well the, the oppression of the regime, it's obvious that this is going to have a negative reaction to people who have suffered in that country and who have left or are still there. Uh, how did you feel about it? Well, uh, yeah, I think for the record, it's the T-shirt says something like like minds think alike. Point being that, you know, I agree with Malcolm and Malcolm agrees with uh, Fidel. And we're a big happy family on my chest that I'm wearing their picture. Mm -hmm. uh, when I first saw him wearing that T-shirt, I thought that there was uh, a terrible, terrible irony in in his choosing that shirt, because here you have a guy that decided that he was going to protest what he says is, uh, you know, massive oppression by this country, which, you know, I think anyone with any sort of uh, reasonable thinking doesn't recognize that the United States as a government as an entity uh, includes massive oppression of a population as as part of the uh, you know the agenda. I don't think that's part of the whole you know plank of the Constitution or anything like that. Secondly, um, having you know espoused that belief, he's got an oppressor on his shirt. Fidel Castro, by any definition of anyone who has ever lived a moment on the planet Earth, understands that Fidel Castro, although he was maybe, you know, to use his love for baseball, he was not major league like Hitler. He was not major league oppressor like Mao and Stalin. He was definitely triple A in that he, you know, he had thousands of people murdered, killed, fired uh, via the firing squad. He had thousands of people jailed with no, you know, recourse for defending themselves, no recourse for stating uh, their reason and, and not told why they were in jail. Uh, you know, and by the way, he took over a country uh, under false pretenses and then never held uh, an election that any country in the world or the United States or the United Nations would say was free and fair. So 
by any definition, Fidel Castro was an oppressor. And it was just bitter irony that this guy who is, um, you know, trying to rally against oppression is proudly wearing Fidel Castro's picture on his chest. It seems it wasn't just uh, calling Kaepernick who has this sentiment towards Castro. Fidel Castro recently passed away a few days ago um, on November 25th. And I saw on social media quite a lot of defense and uh, apologetics for his regime and his history. And I think it's very telling that one of Fidel Castro's most famous speeches from 1953 is called History Will Absolve Me. And the Green Party's nominee for president of the United States, Jill Stein, tweeted in response to the passing of Fidel Castro. She said, Fidel Castro was a symbol of the struggle for justice in the shadow of empire. And she ended that tweet with saying presente in Spanish, which is kind of an homage saying, I'm here, I'm with you in support of Castro. What do you think about a, a, an American candidate for president saying that Fidel Castro is a symbol of the struggle for justice in the shadow of empire? Yeah, stupid people are born every day into this world. And anyone who would have that opinion, by the way, not, she's not alone. As you know, Trudeau, the prime minister of Canada, also tweeted very, uh, uh, I would say, positive things about Fidel. And Reverend Jesse Jackson here in the United States tweeted very positive things about Fidel. And all I have to say is, you know, those people loved Fidel and, and appreciated what Fidel did and stood for. Those, those people never lived a minute under a Fidel Castro regime, never. And were they to have to live any time under a Fidel Castro, they would hate their lives as much as the Cuban people and a majority of the Cuban people who have lived the last 60 years under that regime and have decided that, you know, that great literacy rate that Colin Kaepernick was talking about and that great uh, education system and the wonderful healthcare system, which is questionable. Their response, yeah, their response to that great system and that great stuff that Fidel has put forward is to throw themselves into open waters of the Atlantic Ocean, shark-infested waters, and try to make it ninety miles to that quote-unquote empire that Jill Stein calls the United States because they recognize that there is good and evil in the world and the empire that she refers to is the good. And the uh, hero that she refers to as Fidel is the evil. It's very sad that people will refer to Fidel Castro as some kind of hero when there are writers such as Yoani Sanchez, who's a blogger from Cuba, who risks her life every day blogging and writing about the oppression in Cuba. And in one video, I saw her write about the lack of free speech in the country. Again, 
Internet access, it ranks 135th in the world. Freedom of press, 171st. Yuani was saying that that almost ne no one in the country has access to Internet. The only people who do are some government workers, people in the military, some foreigners. That's about it. And for bloggers to even write about the, the oppression in their country, they have to go to an international hotel, pay for internet connection, and that internet connection amounts to about a th one third of the average monthly wage in Cuba. And that's what someone like her has to sacrifice just to put her voice out there into the world. And to hear Kaepernick and anyone else, especially leaders of the world, side with Castro and the regime is so disheartening. What is it that you think that is behind this reaction that people will defend Castro? W why is that? Well, uh, that's a very good question, and it's a very complex answer. Uh, first of all, I would say to you that part of it is ignorance. Part of it is not knowing exactly uh, who it is they're speaking of and what that regime represents. Um, you know, it's, it's the ignorance of someone picking and choosing uh, small details to put out there while ignoring, which is basically part of the definition of ignorance, ignoring the greater picture and the entire truth. So there is, in fact, some people that just don't know exactly who the Castros were and are. Uh, number two, I would say, is uh, great public relations by Fidel. Let's face it, uh, he, you know, he represented a certain ideology that a lot of people have romanticized, uh, and that is we're going to stand up to power and we're going to empower the little guy. Except that in, in actual form, uh, Fidel is the power in Cuba and he does not uh, you know, suffer any little guys. He squashes them, he puts them down. He, like you said, he does not give them uh, the accessibility to internet because it, the internet breeds information and information is power and power is dangerous to the Castros. And so therefore they squash it and they stifle it. And then number three, uh, and this is the really dangerous one. There are just people that just think like Fidel. They just agree with the guy period. Uh, they're, there is evil, again, in this world, and evil agrees with evil. And so you, you look at what Fidel did in, in, in the people that he supported and what they did to their populations and this, their people. Look what is happening in Venezuela. Fidel is a hero to you know Maduro and before that, the little fat guy that was in there before <laughs> that. And so, uh, you know, because they are evil, they are birds of a feather. Fidel and Che, who's, uh, you know, Ernestico, who was an Argentinian, uh, their, their desire was for power. 
their desire was to dominate a, a hemisphere. And obviously the United States of America stood between that and, and their desire and, and forever will, I hope. But the fact of the matter is there are just people that just think like he does or like they do. Mao, Stalin, Fidel, Che, uh, Maduro now. They, they think that way. Uh, and that is dangerous because I don't know anyone who lived under Stalin who loved living under Stalin, especially not, you know, the, the 20 million people that he murdered. I don't know anyone that lived under Mao that can say they loved living under Mao, especially not the 40 million people that he murdered. And I don't know anyone that lived under Fidel who loved living under Fidel, particularly not the thousands and perhaps hundreds of thousands of people that he murdered. I think that's a very important point about people not understanding what it's like to live under that regime. I, I often wonder, one, this is not a two-way street. I see people risking their lives to leave Cuba and to live in a country that is referred to as empire and oppressive. And I never hear the people who are defensive of Castro moving to Cuba. This is only a one-way street. I also wonder that when people mention high level of health care and literacy, I would ask them, are you willing then to give up democracy, access to information, the internet, have no freedom of press, to have no economic freedom, to have no voice in within government or society to do anything for a slightly higher literacy rate, which <laughs> is neg negligible, really, because all we're talking about is the ability, the ability to read. Even in North Korea, most people have high literacy rate. And I don't really have to give that up living in Chile. Chile outranks Cuba in almost all these things and has about the same literacy rate as Cuba. So I don't have to give that up. I wouldn't offer it up to go live in Cuba. And I wonder if these people would when they talk about it. And I doubt it. No, they wouldn't. Mm -hmm. None of them do. And think of this, okay? Any one of your listeners who has Dos dedos de frente, como dicen los cubanos. Look, the literacy rate and the great healthcare system, there are doctors in Cuba who were trained under the Cuban educational system, who were part of the Cuban healthcare system, who have decided, have made a decision, a life decision to be a restaurant waiter. Think about that. In the U.S. They are trained doctors. They are obviously highly literate people. They are part of that great system that Colin Kaepernick, you know, so, so eagerly espoused as great. And yet their best way of surviving is to be a waiter in a restaurant uh, serving, you know, tourists that come to the country. <laughs> the fact that that even exists 
should tell anyone with any sort of logic that, you know, something's wrong here. Something's not right with this picture. And what is not right? Well, this is not right. The fact is that those doctors, those best of the best that were for that great healthcare system and part of that great education system, they obviously think it's a failure because they're trying to get into a different life so that they can feed their family, so that they can feed themselves, so that they can have a better life. That being a doctor in that great healthcare system does not provide for them. I also wanted to ask you about the general sentiment you see in Miami that, of course, I'm, I'm sure you're, you know other Cubans who are either American-born or some who have actually left directly from Cuba and risked their lives to leave in some cases. What is the general sentiment there? Is, is it 50-50 <laughs> love tor towards, towards Castro? Because after the, the lifting of the embargo by Obama, the controversy now with uh with Fidel's death and you know the espousing of lots of different opinions on the regime how do Cubans in the US feel about it right i would say that um i believe the number is a million and a half cubans left cuba in the 60s uh and the 70s and then i think another 400,000 left uh, through the boat lift, the Mariel boat lift in the early 80s. And those, those people, those Cubans of, who represent uh, uh, free Cuba, who represent uh, Cuba Libertad, uh, those people, uh, you don't find them going, let's debate whether Fidel was a good guy or not. There, that debate was over long ago. They made their, their voices known and their opinions known when they said, no, thank you, we can't do this. When some of them were, were able, La Brigada, uh, that went back at the Bay of Pigs and tried to overthrow Castro, they, they made their voices known what they thought of whether uh, Fidel is a good guy or not, or the Castros, because by the way, there's another one still roaming the earth that needs to die as soon as possible uh, to make this a better planet, who is just as much a murderer as his big brother, who is many other things that we're not going to get into here. But the point of the matter is that the people of the, the free Cubans, the people not in Cuba, uh, there is no, there is a consensus and the consensus is that guy and his brother and that regime, not good, evil, bad, putrid, terrible, uh, <laughs> a, a blight on the earth. What do you, what would you consider the main reason Cubans leave Cuba? Do you think it can be re uh, summarized no. to one reason? Well, uh, you know, I would assume that I can tell you that for, for my family, it was, we're not going to let the boy, I was the boy and Nino, you know, grow up cutting sugarcane and fighting on behalf of Fidel's troops for a renegade, you know, communist regime to take over Angola. 
they didn't want that to be me. Uh, they wanted to bring me to a place where I could express myself, where I had freedoms, where I could, you know, self-actualize into a human being like the people of Mexico do, like the people of Argentina do, like the people throughout South America that is not under socialism do, like the people of Europe do. Uh, so they wanted me to have those same freedoms. Now, obviously, there are some Cubans, especially more of the later, that recognized um, things are bad here. We don't have enough to eat. And if we want to get enough to eat, we can't be here. Uh, those folks, you know, they're, they weren't going to stick around, so they wanted to go somewhere else to survive. It wasn't about rights. It wasn't about freedoms. It, wasn't, it was about survival. It was about living to, you know, and not being malnourished and undernourished and wondering where your next meal was going to come from if you didn't hustle uh, and come up with some grand plan to do something to put food on the table. And all the Cubans, I would say the reason that they left was financial because they don't have anything. They have to, I remember my, my, my aunt would tell my mother stories. You have to stand in line for sugar. You have to stand in line for shoes. You have to stand in line for a dress. You have to stand in line for everything. And it, there is no guarantee that when you get to the end of that line after a day or more standing in that line, that the stuff that you stood in line for will be there because it runs out. And it especially ran out when the Soviet Union was no longer able to be the benefactor and the, the, basically the thing that held up the Castro regime, because that's what the one thing we forget. None of these countries can, none of these communist countries are, are self-sufficient because by definition, they are failed states. So they rely on somebody else to, to prop them up. In Cuba, it was the Soviet Union for a long time. After the Soviet Union failed, it was, you know, China and other players. Uh, North Korea, look, uh, have your listeners Google the, a satellite photo of the Korean Peninsula. You see that the south at night is a glow. The north is completely dark. There's a reason for that. There's a reason why freedom and capitalism and democracy and all those things let people advance. And that other government, it lets the, the people in power advance and the people be damned. Yeah, I totally agree. And I can already hear the counter argument to this is that the reason there's such poverty in Cuba is because of the embargo uh, from the United States. And to that, I would just say, look to Venezuela, where there is not a huge embargo by the United States or the rest of the world on them. There is simply a failed economic system that is trying to mirror communist ones. And though being so rich in oil, having hundreds of millions of dollars to just throw away every day, they can't sustain 
their economy. They have to actually ask the United States to sell them oil because they can't refine it themselves. They also have lines of people waiting for toilet paper and food and clothing because it just it, it can't sustain itself. Well, I, I told you earlier, one of Fidel's gifts was he was a great public relations guy. He got great public relations. That whole, the embargo has crippled our country. And if it were not for the embargo, we would be successful in the economy and other things. Is <laughs> a public relations ploy. Because the fact of the matter is, and it cannot be denied, that Cuba has always traded with the Soviet Union, which was a superpower throughout the 20th century, has always traded with Europe, uh, has traded for a long time now with Canada, has traded for a long time with Mexico, has traded for a long time with other partners in South America. Uh, so tell me how not being able to get Buicks and not being able to sell Buicks on the island uh, really crippled the, the, the economy in Cuba. Tell me how the embargo, an American embargo, cripples an island, but of course the Spanish tourists are there, you know, uh, for weeks on end because it's very cheap. The Europeans, the Italians are all over the beach, uh, and, and, and the Russians... A generation of Cubans are named Igor and, and, you know, all other Vladimir and stuff like that because the Russians were everywhere. So don't, don't tell me about this embargo thing. Uh, you know, even the Cuban population here spent more, sent more money back to Cuba than Cuba produced. So I don't want to hear about this embargo. In, in a regular conversation with an apologist for Cuba, you'll get a lot, just like Kaepernick gave to you, many evils of the American state. And they'll, they'll start listing them out. How the United States has tried to kill Fidel Castro, the bad relations, the embargo, the incarceration uh, uh, in the United States, endless list of evils of the U.S., Let's say all of it is true. I, I find it very difficult to try to explain to someone that even though the United States has its problems and everything you're telling me can be true, you cannot compare it to a person living in Cuba. You have such freedoms and such access to information and such access to education and freedom to, of democracy and, and a voice and of speech that you would not understand that what it was like to live without those things for a day. And I can't put that into a tweet for some to convince someone. What would you say to someone in a simplified manner? Do you think it's even possible? Um, well, I'm glad that you asked me for a simplified manner because I'm a pretty simple man. Um, let me, let me put it to you this way. The United States is the United States of America. It's not heaven. Okay. We have a president. We don't have God sitting on the throne. We're not perfect, okay? And no one has ever claimed that we are perfect. But neither are we an empire. I mean, I don't, <laughs> you know, 
I know a little bit about history, and so I've read about empires. Rome stretched from uh, Europe to the Middle East. That's an empire. The Ottomans, they took over the entire Middle East and the Caucasus. That's an empire that stood for over a thousand years. Uh, the Mongols, uh, you know, those, they, their landmass was twice what the United States proper was. That's an empire. Britain, the saying is that the sun never went down on the British Empire. And you know why? Because it's true, because they had lands in Europe, they had lands in the South Pacific, they had lands in the Caribbean, they had lands in North America. That's an empire, or it was. United States, dude, the United States goes to Iraq, and the first thing that the troops think about when they get there is kicking ass and going home. They don't think about, we're going to take this place over. They go to Korea, and the troops think about kicking ass and going home. They don't think about, we're going to take this place over. The United States rallied and destroyed Japan. I think the Japanese are pretty much in charge of Japan today, even though the United States kicked their ass in World War II. So where's this empire that everybody talks about? Germany? Germany is self-ruled. I don't see an American ruling Germany. <laughs> Where's the empire? Because Florida is, hey, uh, you know, the Louisiana Purchase was a purchase. Uh, the Spanish-American War was a war. and there are, there are consequences for losing a war. But by the way, uh, the United States didn't say we're going to take over Cuba and we're going to run the place and we're going to run Puerto Rico and we're going to run, you know, the Philippines and we're going to run Guam. So please explain to me empire. It doesn't, it doesn't, the very definition is wrong. People are wrong. And again, we have problems. Everybody has problems. I've never said that the United States is perfect, but I'm sure glad that I'm here and not there. Yeah, definitely. And as am I. And I think uh, it's very important that after Fidel Castro's death, we hear from the people who are from there or have family from there and, and have knowledge of the experience of living under such a regime. And I find it very disheartening that those people are not being listened to. Don't be disheartened because one thing that I've learned um, following what I wrote and following my exchange with uh, Mr. Kaepernick mm -hmm. was that there are many, 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 many hundreds of thousands of people that understand the truth and that understand that uh, there was crimes against humanity uh, done in Cuba by a regime and there continue to be, and that it was, it was not and is not a heroic venture. And it was not and is not uh, the stuff of, you know, novels and 
and uh, and magazine stories and stuff like that that should be uh, propped up. There are many more of us than there are of them. Remember that. There are many more of us than there are of them. Well, I truly hope you're right. And uh, I, I recommend that everyone read the article that contains the audio conversation with Kaepernick. The article is called Unrepentant Hypocrite Colin Kaepernick Defends Fidel Castro. And you don't pull any punches when... Uh, when you when you wrote it, it's a it's a great article. Um, the the article will be linked in the description of this video, and you can find Armando Salguero at, on Twitter at uh, Armando Salguero, just spelled A R M A N D O S A L G U E R O. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to add, Armando? Uh, I just want to thank you for you know sharing this time and talking about this with me, it's cathartic to me because, you know, Cubans, we've repressed for, we, we are very passionate people, but we've repressed a lot of our, our experiences because this isn't our country at the end of the day. Um, and so, and a lot of people, and it's a tiny little island. It doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. It's not uh, a great nation by any stretch. It's a tiny little island that produced a lot of sugar, a lot of tobacco, and some great music once upon a time. Um, but I would say to you, it has produced also a lot of passionate people, a lot of smart people. You know, as small a, a, a portion of the population that we are here, there's two Cuban-American senators, both of them who ran for president of the United States. Uh, in this past election cycle. There is another senator from New Jersey who's on the other side of the aisle. There's multiple congressmen. The chairman of Coca-Cola once upon a time was Cuban. Uh, you know, th there are people, Cuban people in music, the Estefans, Pitbull, whose name, first name, by the way, is Armando. So we're everywhere, but we've been nowhere because our land is under you know under siege but that won't be forever well said thank thank you armando for joining me thank you Lalo.